Welcome to the Kintsugi Heroes podcast, where we share inspirational stories of everyday people going through different challenges and how they overcome them. Please be aware that the story you're about to hear may have moments of deeply felt emotions and personal experiences. If anything you hear has a triggering effect, please reach out to someone who can help keep you safe. If you love this conversation, we'd love you to like and share it with your friends so we can continue to share more inspiration and hope to as many people as possible. Now, listen up for our next hero story. And in this episode today, I met with the lovely Whitney Coupland, who describes her journey with health issues. This is one that's going to be very relevant and familiar to a lot of people because more and more people are becoming sick with different diseases, autoimmune diseases. And Whitney, unfortunately, had it for most of her life. She had a diagnosis in her teens and then another one of Hashimoto's disease two decades later. And what's really inspiring about Whitney's story is the way that she saw this as something to tackle herself, but also be responsible for. She asked, how can I keep my thyroid and how can I stay healthy instead of just succumbing to the medical pressures to just go and get something cut out? But she also wanted to live a quality of life and she figured it out. She now helps other women to take control of their health and heal naturally so that they can also enjoy their lives. It's a lovely story and it was really inspiring. I love what she's doing and how she's helping others and I'm sure you're going to enjoy this story with Whitney Cooper. Hello, and here we are. It's another episode, and I'm here with Whitney Copeland. It is so lovely to see you. Thank you for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. That accent comes from somewhere. Can you let let our listeners know whereabouts you are? Yes, I am in beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia in Canada. (laughs) Lovely. And you would be fooled to think, you might think that it's warm because you can see the sun streaming in and just like it's sunny here, except it's probably a little bit warmer where I am. But um, yeah, we're we're in our winter here. Yes. Yeah. We're in the smack bang in the middle of our summer. So this is Kintsugi Heroes. You're here to share your story. And I want to thank you, first of all, for being willing and open to sharing your story. It takes a lot of bravery and vulnerability to be able to share one story the way that people do on this, on this show. And so I just want to honor you for that and thank you. Yeah, of course. Well, let's get started. This is about you. I'd like to hand over to you now, Whitney, and ask you to take us back to the beginning. So my story begins in another part of Canada. I grew up in Toronto, Ontario. So over there, the winters are a bit more harsh than they are here on the West Coast. And we'll take the story back to when I was about 12 or 13 years old. I was up at my parents' cottage or cabin. (laughs) The people here out in British Columbia call getaway homes cabins. But in Ontario, we call them cottages. So I was at the cottage with my parents and my younger sister. It was May, so we were just coming out of winter season. The lake that the cottage is on had just melted. 
And my sister and I thought it would be fun to go for a polar dip. So you may have heard of it before, but oftentimes, at least here in British Columbia, on the 1st of January, people like to go running into the freezing cold ocean water for fun. It wasn't really my thing, but my sister and I had this idea to jump into this freezing cold lake water. And so we did. But when I came out of the water, to my astonishment, my hands and actually my right arm was totally white and numb. And so my dad had to actually use his physical force of his hands to get the blood flow going back into my arm and my hands. And that was really strange. So we thought we should get that checked out by the doctor. And it was a very quick diagnosis of something called Raynaud's. Raynaud's syndrome, Raynaud's phenomenon, there's different names for it. But essentially, your blood vessels constrict prematurely. So the average person would not lose their circulation walking down the freezer or frozen section at the grocery store. But someone like me with Raynaud's, if I catch a chill, then my circulation will start to go, starting with my middle finger. And then if it gets more severe, it can take over the hand. Luckily, since that one situation in the freezing cold lake, I have not had my whole arm go white because I very quickly learned to avoid such situations. So that's really where my story begins. But I think in order to really capture the rest of this story, I do have to fast forward 20 years later, actually in my early 30s, when I received another diagnosis of Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which is I have an enlarged thyroid gland. So it I don't know if you can really see it. When I swallow, you can see it. But that's another autoimmune diagnosis. So I had that first diagnosis around nobody can really pinpoint the age 12 or 13. And then this second diagnosis when I was pregnant with my second child. So that's really where my story begins is with these autoimmune uh, diagnoses. So take me through then what happened, you know, uh, I guess when you got this diet, the second diagnosis, um, you know, what was something going on for you that caused you to go and get it? get a checkup? And then, you know, where did that take you from at that point? Yes. So it was actually kind of a fluke that I got this second diagnosis because I didn't notice that anything was wrong. I had a toddler and I was pregnant. So fatigue, you know, low energy, any kind of weird feelings, you're not really associating it with any kind of issue. But it was actually my midwife who was just doing a physical exam and noticed that my thyroid was enlarged. And so she recommended go and see your medical doctor right away, have that, you know, an ultrasound done, have an extraction of the cells done to make sure it's not cancerous. And because I had all of that testing done, it was a very quick diagnosis, where many, many people who have autoimmune conditions, it takes them years of trial and tribulation. They're going to doctors, they're being told that they're crazy, the symptoms aren't lining up to anything. And it's a very frustrating journey for a lot of people. So 
I, in a sense, was very blessed. Both of my diagnoses were like, this is a very apparent thing that's happening. This is the name for it. And so with that second diagnosis, I knew it was more serious in the sense that I needed to do something about it because I wanted to save my thyroid. I knew that a lot of people with Hashimoto's end up on medication for life. Some people have to have surgery, and that's not the route that I wanted to take. And at the time of my diagnosis, my thyroid levels in my blood work were okay, and they weren't indicating that I needed medication right away. But I was being told by the endocrinologist that my only options were to wait until I did require medication. And if this physically bothered me or I didn't like the look of it, I could have it removed. So I really got turned off by that. And I knew that's not the route I wanted to go. I have a background in nutrition. So like I knew there were other options and I decided to go and see a naturopathic doctor. And before I went to that appointment, I was like, whatever I am asked to do, I'm doing it. Like I'm going all in with this. If they say there's $500 worth of testing and supplements, I'm doing it because I really want to deal with this. So I went in and of course, yes, I was advised to do some testing and food sensitivity testing was one of those things. So I agreed to it and I left with a whole slew of supplements at the same time. And I had to go back for the results to this naturopath. And she basically broke down this food sensitivity testing for me. And it was really shocking because I was a nutritionist and I knew what healthy food was and I was taking really good care of my body. But everything that I was eating was showing up on this test as problematic. And remember, I had a little um toddler. And by this time, I actually had an infant. So I was having all this information thrown at me. And it was like, you need to make all these changes. And I didn't know how I was going to do it. I didn't know how I was going to turn my entire diet upside down and learn this whole new way of living while trying to raise two young kids. So I did take her advice for a short while and tried following this really rigid plan. But it was becoming really frustrating. I was really hungry all the time. Nothing was convenient about it. I couldn't really go out and be on the go and just have something to eat in a restaurant. If we were driving, you know, for a while in the car, I couldn't just stop and pick something up. So one day we were going out of town and I made this salad with sweet potato and I think some ground up meat of some kind. I remember being in the car and eating it and thinking this is like really unsatisfying. Like this is pretty gross. I'm not enjoying it. So I got on my phone and I'm hammering away looking for recipes that would work for me that I would actually enjoy. And I found this website called autoimmunewellness.com. And so I perused around on that website for a little while and I discovered something called the autoimmune protocol. And it's essentially an elimination diet, but it's a lot more structured than going and getting food sensitivity done, having this crazy piece of paper with a million things to eliminate and no guidance. It's very black and white. Like this is stage one. This is what you do. This is stage two. This is what you do. And so I really like threw in the towel on 
everything that the naturopath had told me and decided to take up this other approach, which ended up working quite well for me. This is really interesting. And how long did this process take? And then what happened after you started the new protocol? It didn't take me too long in between getting those food sensitivity results, realizing this was crazy, doing more research, and then finding this other alternative solution. That wasn't a long period of time. But actually implementing this new protocol properly, so to speak, that took me a while because I did still have to change pretty much everything in my fridge and my pantry. And I wasn't well versed in all of these alternative products at the time. I was already eating gluten free, but I wasn't eating paleo. And this style of eating is, is a paleo diet. So I had to remove all of the grains. And I hadn't discovered what I now know about like cassava flour and tapioca starch and all these alternative ingredients that you can cook and bake with. So the first time I said, you know, I'm going cold turkey. I'm going to do the elimination phase as fast as possible, get it done in 30 days and then start reintroducing the foods. But of course, because I wasn't prepared, I fell off the wagon. And I think that happened once or twice before I finally made it through the 30-day elimination phase. And then after that, things were a lot more smooth sailing. Like it was a heavy learning curve. But once I was in the flow of it and I was no longer starving day to day, it was good. Good. Tell me about your physical health during this time, you know, and the symptoms, because obviously this is all about healing your thyroid and Mm -hmm. being able to keep your thyroid. That was, as you said, that was your goal. So how did all of this impact your symptoms and your general well-being? So when I was doing the strict autoimmune protocol, I felt way less inflammation in my thyroid gland. So I would have like a Raynaud's flare is um say you're outside walking in the rain it's a cold rainy day and your your fingers go white that's called a flare right that's the symptom with the thyroid it's a lot more subtle to know what are the symptoms like brain fog how do you really measure brain fog and energy like how are you really measuring energy but one thing that i could really tell was whether i felt like i had a golf ball in my throat or not And when I was eating that way, I did not feel like I had a golf ball in my throat. So that was a significant improvement. And now, like I eat a much more flexible diet because I've done a lot of healing. And most of the time, I do not feel like I have a golf ball in my throat. But if I go through a period of stress, or I've had several nights with my kids waking me up, or as a woman, if I'm like with my cycle, I definitely still have times where I can feel discomfort in that area, but it's nowhere near what it was before I implemented all of these dietary changes. And that's good to hear. And how, how did it, how did that, all those changes impact, I guess, the, the food and, and the lifestyle that you had with the kids and your husband, you know, with the family? Was it a big change for them? So, Luckily, my husband is super easygoing. He's not picky with food and he really values healthy eating. So 
that is one of the biggest obstacles that many other people have to overcome is that they don't have a spouse that's on board. So I was really lucky with that. And my kids were young enough that I could introduce these things, like make pancakes with alternative flowers, and they wouldn't give me pushback on it. So I think I caught it at an early enough stage that that part of it wasn't so hard for me. But I know that a lot of people do struggle with that. So there are all kinds of solutions, such as like with autoimmune paleo, you can eat meat, you can eat fish, and you can eat a wide variety of vegetables. So when you're making meals, you would still make a grain for the rest of your family. And you just wouldn't have that portion on your plate. And if you were going to do something like a taco night, you could make your taco bowl and they could still have their taco shell with the cheese and the sour cream. So there are definitely meals that are versatile enough to work for everybody. So that's what my recommendation would be there. But I was just blessed in the sense that I didn't really have to do that. When you were going through those early stages, obviously the trial and error, you you tried things with the naturopathic you know, protocol and then the new one that you found, were you on your own? As in, was it, were you the only one in your circle that had this uh, condition and was going through it? Or did you reach out and find others that were also going through this? So I was on my own. I know that hypothyroidism runs in my family and probably a lot of the women who do have this in my family do have Hashimoto's. They've just never been diagnosed. And so therefore they've never gone to do anything about it. But what I did was I loved what I was doing so much that I became certified to basically teach and coach this autoimmune protocol. And so when I did that, it opened me up to a community of hundreds of women who have had all kinds of journeys with autoimmune disease, use this protocol to heal themselves. And now they're out there spreading the word, helping empower other people to say, you're going to be told left, right, and center that there's nothing you can do, that you don't have control, and that this is the Band-Aid solution being offered to you. But if you never question it, then that's going to be your reality. So. Most of the women that I met in this community have had a level of healing that they, they want to express to the world. They want to say, look, I was here and I overcame it and you can too. Like, let me help you. Let me guide you. So I was just constantly uplifted and reminded of how possible it is to heal. And on that website, I mentioned earlier autoimmune wellness. There are success stories from people. They had a whole blog going for a while that was just success stories. So there was no way that my brain couldn't take in that evidence. And I think that's such an important part of anything that you want to change. You need to start building a case for it in your own mind. And so I just kept looking for the evidence of possibility. Sorry for the interruption. This is Ian Westmoreland, the founder of Kintsugi Heroes, and thank you for listening to this story from one of our amazing heroes. Our mission is for these stories to provide hope and inspiration to people experiencing life challenges. 
and to also educate the broader community on how best to provide support. If you would like to help us to continue to produce more hero stories and cover more adversity themes, we would welcome all donations. These can be made via our website, kintsukiheroes.com.au. The donate function is at the bottom of the homepage. We'd also welcome any feedback. You can email me direct using ian at kintsugiheroes.com.au. Now let's get back to the story. I love that. And the words that you're using, it was funny as you're speaking, uh, I was reflecting that those, those wisdoms really can be applied to anything in life, not just mm-hmm. a health crisis. And it's so important, you know, for us to question things and figure out, you know, what and take responsibility because that's what you've done, right? You, you took responsibility for your health rather mm-hmm. than listening to a doctor's diagnosis and just accepting the status quo. Oh, well, I'll just get it taken out then, you know, or, and stay on drugs for the rest of my life. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then it comes down to what you value. And for me, long before I ever had a Hashimoto's diagnosis, I valued my health. And I knew I would do whatever it took to preserve my health. And maybe that isn't for everybody. Like, I definitely know this as a coach when I have people come in for consultations and they've been referred to me, but they have no drive within themselves to make the changes. It's like they're showing up on somebody else's behalf because somebody told them to. So step one is really fostering that internal desire to make the changes. Have you seen people who've come to you or to, you know, the group and then they just don't have that and they, then they go back to the easy path or, you know, what they think is the easy path because they don't want to make those changes themselves? I have, and I've seen people go all in and then self-sabotage in a sense. I mean, just like you said, with all different types of crises, there's a whole spectrum of people. There's the go-getters who are going to do whatever it takes. They show up. They're like, I'm in crisis. I have a diagnosis. I don't want surgery. I don't want immunosuppressants. Tell me what I have to do. I'm going to do it. And then there's the people who really want to do it, but the pressures around them are too strong. Social pressures, pressures from work, you name it. There's all these reasons and they haven't found the power within themselves to override that yet. But if they want to, they can. And then there's the people who just don't, don't want to make the change. Like they don't value that over whatever the other indulgence is. And maybe they'll come around, maybe they won't. It's really to each their own. But for me, I speak to the people who want to make the change and they're they're ready to do it or they want to make the change and they do need a little bit of hand-holding just to get over the edge. And then they really take it and run with it. I love the way you describe the diff- where people, the different, uh, I guess, places that people are at, the different, if you categorize them, the different, yeah, the, the mindsets or the positions that they're in. Um, how many years have you been doing the protocol for now since, yeah, finding it? 
Yeah. So I started the protocol probably four years ago, but it is a protocol. So it's something that you follow. So there's 30 to 90 days of an elimination phase where you're removing the foods that are most likely negatively impacting your body. And you're actually in that elimination phase, you are actually adding in things that are really conducive to your health as well. So foods that you weren't used to eating before, you're bringing those in. And then after that 30 to 90 days, when you're seeing your health change in a positive way, and you know you would be able to tell a difference if you were to eat something and it would bother you, that's when you know you're ready to start bringing foods back in. So I mean, all in all, some people with introductions can take up to a year, you know, to to really have a wide variety of food in their diet again. Not to say that the elimination phase is a small number of foods. It's just, it's small categories. It's like a wide range of fruits and vegetables, a wide range of animal products, but you're not eating the dairy. You're not eating eggs at the beginning. You're not even eating nuts and seeds. So all of those things get reintroduced. And now in my life, so what I've come up with are a couple of terms. I call them thresholds. Um, and so your thresholds are basically how much of a food and how often can I have something before it starts to negatively impact me? And the other concept is eating for quality of life. So even if something impacts you in a specific way, are you going to eat it or are you not going to eat it? You're at a wedding, you're at a birthday party. How do you make a decision about whether you're going to eat something or not? You ask yourself, is this going to contribute to my quality of life? And if the answer is yes, then you go for it. And if the answer is no, then that's a non-negotiable for you. And with autoimmune, it's often gluten for a lot of people is a non-negotiable. They just can't go there. But they might be able to have an ice cream, you know, a gluten-free ice cream cone a couple times a month without problems. And it's a very individualized thing. So when you go through this protocol, you basically come out at the end. So you can just put your name in front of it, like Whitney Copeland's perfect diet. And it's not going to be the same for you. Uh, uh, What I love about that is it's honoring the individual in that we are all very unique. We all have different paths, challenges. And even if we have the same diagnoses, our bodies are different. And Mm -hmm. what our individual limits are are different as well. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. How is life different now for you compared to back when you had the initial diagnosis? Well, a lot has changed for me because of this. So first of all, I think before I had a really hard time making requests, um, standing up for myself in certain situations, saying no to things. And so I really empowered myself to do that. And at the same time, because I became a certified coach in this autoimmune protocol, I started an online business. And that coupled with the health changes, like just put me through this personal development, like, I don't even know what you would call it, vortex, like just constantly having to look at what's going on with me and sort it out. 
whatever that looks like. Um, and it's now brought me to a place where I'm very much interested in the spiritual aspect of it as well. Because when you're on a personal development journey and you're de- dealing a lot with the mind, I feel like it's almost inevitable that you start running into the soul. <laughs> and so that's how I'm different today. It's like, I, I think completely differently than I did a few years ago. I, every situation in life I handle differently. My parenting is different because what I implemented in my health, I implemented in my business. Now I implement it in my parenting and in my relationships. And I don't love the term or that sentence, how you do one thing is how you do everything. I know it's so cliche, but I believe what you learn in one area can be applied to other areas of life. So true. It's so true. You know, we we don't, life is a symbiotic collective of experiences and we can't compartmentalize them. It's like the human body, right? You can't say that the hand is not connected to the other hand because the whole body is connected. Um, Mm -hmm. One thing actually does impact the other. And so how you approach things, like you've just explained, is is impacted by the, the journey, the learnings that you have, and then what you can then take to the next thing, whether it's the parenting or business or relationships. It's a really mm-hmm. positive outcome. It's it's a beautiful insight that you that you've had through this journey. It's really lovely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm I'm very uh, grateful for it. And I think when I talked about the spiritual side of it, where I'm at now, it's like, thank you for this illness. It's taught me so much. I realized I have to use my voice. That's a big thing with thyroid is using your voice, communicating, getting your message out. Thank you. And now I'm done with this. We can move on, right? Like I've learned, I got the message. I've learned my lesson. Now let's let the rest of this healing take place and and my thyroid can come back into complete balance now. So that's where I'm at now. Like I haven't made it to the end of my journey with this, but I feel like it's within arm's reach. That's fantastic. So positive to hear. I, I love the the connection to something more spiritual, the lesson, the journey, and just accepting and embracing it. And I've seen many people, no matter what they've gone through, when they've come on this show and they've talked about their journeys, a lot of them have had that, not only the acceptance and the realizations, but they've actually said, I was meant to go through this to help me then fulfill my purpose. It's actually part of my reason for being here. And I think when you get to that place, it's a really special it's just really heartwarming and it just feels like there's this alignment, you know, universally. Mm-hmm. The person mm-hmm. feel, can then start the next phase of their life at that point. Yeah, I like it because when you have this realization, there's really no confusion. There's really no going back. It's like I've had this realization. I know what my work is. And now all I have to do is take steps in that direction. I don't have to be in search mode anymore of what to do. I just need to do it. Just start doing it. (laughs) I love that. No longer in search mode. Yeah, exactly. You've arrived to where you need to be. And Mm -hmm. all 
because of this challenge, this illness that you that you've had. It's mm-hmm. it's brought you to here. Oh, it's beautiful. What wonderful uh, reflections. As we come to a close, uh, you've given a lot of insights and also, I guess, advice in a way, but based on your story. But I'm wondering if there is someone that's listening to this story and they have perhaps a similar diagnosis, what would you like to say to them that might help them on their journey? I think the number one thing is to listen to yourself because you're going to get opinions from so many other people and they're all going to conflict and you're going to go online and you can find evidence to support any one of those conflicting things that you've heard. So the person who knows best is you and anybody else in your space is simply an advisor and you can take or leave what they have to say. And the second part of it is if something doesn't feel good, don't do it. And the practical example of this, even with the autoimmune paleo diet, it's like, don't force yourself to eat foods that are disgusting, right? Like I was eating that mushy, sweet potato, like spinach, no seasoning in the car. And I was like, what am I doing? Like, I cannot go on in life eating like this. And so I found taco bowls and pancakes and all of these wonderful things that I looked forward to eating and truly were to this day, like more satisfying than the old versions, because the mental part of it is this tastes good, but it's also nourishing my body. So if you follow your intuition on what to do, and your preferences on what you like and don't like, you're going to be much better off than I was at the beginning of my journey. Great advice. So, so important to listen to yourself and honor what's, what's, you know, coming up for you for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you would know this. I mean, not only have you gone through it yourself, but you're helping others and, and coaching people in the similar situations. So you've mm-hmm. got such vast experience with this. And I love the practical nature, but also the way that you embrace individuality and that we are all unique, which is mm-hmm. really a, a really perfect place to be, especially when you're offering a protocol or talking about a protocol which one could mm-hmm. see as a cookie cutter solution. And yet you're saying, but you've got to bring yourself to that and still be yourself. Yes. And, and find the right path for you, which is perfect. Mm-hmm. I'm really happy for you, Whitney. I, you know, hearing your journey, I know so many people go through health crises and struggle for so many years. And how lucky that you didn't have to go through that for a very long period of time. And, um, I'm really grateful for what you're doing and how you're helping people and also for sharing your story today with me. Yeah, thank you. It's a pleasure. And like I said, I have found my voice and showing up and speaking, whether it's about my journey or helping people, it really is a healing process for me. So I thank you for giving me the opportunity. Uh, you're very welcome. And I know that this is going to impact people who are listening and help inspire them. So much gratitude to you. And I wish you 
continued success on your journey now that you're living on purpose. So thank you very much, Whitney. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Kintsugi Heroes. Please like and share the show to your friends so we can get this out to even more people. If you have a story you'd like to share with us, please reach out using the contact details below and join us next week for our next Heroes story. Until then, keep being you and remember that we are all heroes in our own unique way. Only when it's broken Only when you're broken Only when you're broken